Good morning, everyone. Happy December. We are going to sing some songs of the season today. So let's stand and sing Joy to the World. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven. song we're going to do is um, some of you may recognize it and we've done it the past couple of years here at the Christmas season but it just talks about how how sweet the very name of Jesus is um, when the angel told Mary what the, the baby's name was going to be it was very clear um, that it was going to be a very special baby and a baby that was going to save the world from from our sins and that's what this song is about Call his name Jesus. 
wish that wonderful name cherish that matchless name that name is Jesus cherish that beautiful name that wonderful name cherish that matchless name that name is Jesus he shall save his people from their sin of his kingdom there will be no Son of God and Son of Man, call His name Jesus. King of kings and Lord of lords, He shall reign forevermore. So come before Him and adore that lovely name of Jesus. that beautiful name cherish that wonderful name cherish that matchless name that name is Jesus cherish that Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Jerry, and this is part of our small group that got together during our last uh, churchwide series, and we are going to be doing the Advent reading today. This is from Matthew 3, 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? 
Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I will baptize them with water, those who repent their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. And now we will do a benediction for the times of Advent, and there will be responses on the screen for everyone. For those whose life has been stuck on pause, may you know the comfort and presence of the God who waits with us. Come, Lord Jesus, as we wait for you. May we whose darkness feels everlasting remember that pure light has entered the world and the darkness has not overpowered it. Come, Lord Jesus, as we wait for you. May we see Christ, the despised one, Christ who loved the outsider, who tasted bitterness and endured death. May he comfort us in our distress and disturb us in our comfort. Come, Lord Jesus, as we wait for you. When all we experience is endless waiting and fruitlessness, give us the strength to look up and forward to you. May we long for the taste of heaven, our true and future home. Come, Lord Jesus, as we wait for you. May we carry weariness and pain, receive sustenance from a savior, who entered and exited the world with a cry of distress. Come, Lord Jesus, as we wait for you. May we who have grown too comfortable among the twinkly lights of this world see afresh the true and glorious light of Christ. Come, Lord Jesus, as we wait for you. As we remember the great cloud of witnesses who waited in faith for your coming on earth, Sarah and Abraham and the patriarchs, Isaiah and the prophets, Zechariah, Elizabeth, and John, Joseph and Mary, all those unnamed saints who cried out for salvation, may we join our voice with theirs and pray, Marantha, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, come. I'm going to invite you to stand one more time. Even Christmas music can be worship music. Oh. 
Our 
same So breathe upon us now And we'll be changed Take us now into the Father's heart Holy Spirit, move. Holy Spirit, move. Holy Spirit, move. We don't ever want to be the same so breathe upon us now and we'll be changed take us now into the Father's heart Holy Spirit Good morning, church family. My name is Deb McCormick, and I'm going to lead um, testimony time this morning or God sightings time. Um, if you've seen the Lord move um, this week or there's been a time where it's like you knew that was the Lord's hand and you want to share it with us, um, it'd be great. And also, um, with the Advent calendar, if you've been participating in that uh, calendar and um, if you have anything to report back from that participation. I'll start out. I really enjoyed the um, 
the candle, the beautiful little candle and lit that on the first. Yep, candles, yep. <laughs> um, and the, the scripture reading with each, um, each day on the Advent calendar has been really special. And also this week, um, I saw the Lord in my life um, make himself obvious and just um, answering prayer. Sometimes you, I'm so grateful for the gift of prayer and sometimes you pray and pray and just keep praying like the Bible teaches us um, and it feels forever, but then uh, the answers come one way or another and it's just, I'm just so grateful. It's a blessing. Good morning, church. Um, just a, a couple of things. Um, one, one, my daughter in Albuquerque, so she went way away, but uh, she's doing well. And she's, but she hasn't really been able to, she has some friends at work, but she hasn't been able to make any friends and been praying about it. And uh, she met a couple friends. So praise God for that. So when she's away. And I also wanted to just share that if there's anybody out there that at this time of year, especially that's struggling with your faith, I just felt it on God's or God put it on my heart to just open myself up to, to speak with you. So if you're really struggling with your faith or if you're struggling, you know, with, with that whole bigger picture of what's going on, please, uh, please stop by and talk to me. Thank you, Ken. Deb, I don't know if you were referencing this, but we, I meet with a group of people in the morning and we pray and, and read. And one of the people there is the therapist and in certain times doesn't disclose a ton of information, but did disclose that there was a eight-year-old boy who um, got, you know, removed from the birth parents as a young boy and was put into foster care and longed to be adopted. And anyone who understands that system, it's long and arduous and complicated and sad and difficult. And so Deb comes in there and Deb has this list and she prays regularly through the list and this boy's name is, is on the list. And sometimes you kind of wonder, it's like, I'm, I'm sure that's been resolved, Deb. I think you can probably remove his name. You know, it's been a long time. Well, it hadn't it hadn't been resolved and we didn't know but deb kept on praying for him and just last week um we let us know that his adoption he just longed to be in a family that that was i mean you can't can none of most of us have never experienced being eight and removed from your family and then just wanting to have some sort of stability so that kind of trauma we may never experience but the young boy longed to be in a family and he did. He got he got adopted. He got adopted, and it was finalized on Thursday. And so we are like, do we do we, we can't understand why some of these terrible things happen, and why some of these terrible things happen in, in families, and why there's so much sickness and brokenness. Don't have any answers. Don't have any answers for why it takes a year and a half. Don't you know? Have no answers. But all we know is that yet this last week, a portion, a portion of something was resolved this boy was locked into a family and so for that with all the other sighing and deep breaths we have we breathed in deep and we're like thank you god 
Thank you, God, for, for seeing him. And so now I'm sure that Deb will change the prayer for this boy. He'll still on the list, but now the prayer has shifted. But we, we praise God for hearing those long prayers as we wait. So it was really cool. All right. And if there's anyone on um, Zoom that would like to share, they can put their name in the chat. And we'll highlight you. Hey, I have a car story for this week. I, um, we all know that steering is very important in vehicles. And this week on Wednesday, I pull into my driveway, just got home from work, and I hear this clunk and my, one of the steering uh, rods hits the ground. And so I lost my steering altogether, but it happened in my driveway, so, so it's all good. But, uh, so now I'm trying to fix steering in my driveway. But you know, if I lost my steering while I was driving, I, it would have been really bad, but as it is, you know, that's def definitely a blessing. All right, thank the Lord for those tender mercies. Anyone else? So just to put in a little plug, uh, uh, last weekend uh, we went to see The Chosen twice in the theaters. If you haven't started seeing The Chosen, you really, 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 really should. But uh, <clears throat> there was a scene in season two where, where uh, uh, let's see, I think it was Nathaniel was sitting under the tree. His whole life had just collapsed and... You know, everything was just a mess, and he's sitting under this tree. And uh, as it tells in the, in the Gospel of John, Jesus, when he met Nathaniel, said, I saw you. He, he was crying out, God, do you even see me? And he says, I saw you. And that was how Nathaniel turned. This has been a very, very hard year for us, and I've testified some about it. And our daughter-in-law died, and we've had a lot of care for our granddaughter, Lily, who just turned six. And um, Sharon and I have just done a lot of reflecting about our prayer journey and our journey with Lily through all this. And, and it is just so amazing, her spiritual insights uh, that she has had and her sense of her, you know, walking with God and she's talking with her st students in kindergarten about God and, and uh, just uh, these amazing conversations and it's coming out in her art and, uh, and even we decorated the Christmas tree uh, this week on mornings before school. And, uh, and she, our family thing has been that we hide baby Jesus in the manger scene, bring him out in the morning. And the youngest child, the youngest person in the family is supposed to be the one that does it. Well, she doesn't think that that's right. She thinks, you know, baby G Jesus is right here with us now. <laughs> so she's, she's, she's changing our customs, but because of her theology of, of God being with us, even in the midst of what's been a really, really difficult year. So if, if you're having those struggles that Ken mentioned, you know, it's like Jesus sees you and he's there. That's wonderful. All right. Anyone else? Thanks. 
Um, a few weeks ago, I uh, was on my way to a small group with Bev, and she was parking the car, and it was dark, and I tripped over a curb, a curb that I knew was there, but I would tripped over it because it was dark, and I didn't see it, and I fell on my face, and I, there was a lot of blood. Thank God Bev is a nurse, so she, that blood didn't upset her. She was more worried about my head, <laughs> and I do have a small brain bleed. Um, I had to have many stitches in my face. It's healing now, and I was black and blue, and um, I hurt my hand, but it wasn't broken. No teeth were broken. No bones were broken. I mean, God really looked out for me. I wish it hadn't happened, but um, it could have been so much worse. Because of the brain bleed, I had to spend two nights in intensive care with them waking me up every hour to ask me questions. And I finally said, can I just write all the answers down and you can just read them? Uh, <laughs> but anyway, they kept saying, who are you and where are you? And I was, oh my goodness. But anyway, um, and but because of all of this, I've been getting some in-home physical therapy. So I've learned to walk with a cane, which gives me more safety. And um, I'm learning new things. So, and I'm, I'm just really thankful that um, where it, was, it was a mess. There was a lot of blood. <laughs> and, um, but I'm, I'm gonna be fine. You know, I'm gonna be fine. It could have been so much worse. The brain bleed could have been a major problem in my life, but it wasn't, it isn't. So um, if, I'm, if I get confused, it's no worse than ever. <laughs> Same as always. <laughs> um, so I'm really thankful, I'm grateful to the Lord and that he looks out for us. And, I, and I'm thankful that Bev was with me because she was the right person to have there. And she found a couple of guys in the neighborhood who could pull me up, get me standing. And I was able to walk and everything, but oh dear. So anyway, you know, you, you don't want to ever have these things happen. And I'm very cautious. I'm very afraid of falling. I'm very cautious, but this just happened. So stuff happens sometimes. And we have to be thankful for what didn't happen and how God took care of us. And it turned out too, my daughter is an emergency room doctor and she was on duty that night. So my other daughter took me in and my daughter was able to find a facial, sur facial surgeon who did the stitching inside and out very nicely. It's not bad at all. And um, everything just seemed to come together um, when I was there. So I, I don't know. Um, you know, we'd like life to go along without any bumps or bruises, but sometimes these things happen. So I'm thankful that the Lord was, I knew immediately that he was with me. And usually when something bad happens, I think, why isn't my husband here? Because he's dead now. But I didn't even think of that. I didn't think of them through that whole thing. I just thought about the Lord helping me. And Bev was coming after she parked the car and found me in a pool of blood. But <laughs> so I knew that God had worked it all out. So anyway, and I know a number of people were praying for me, and I'm very grateful for that, too. Prayer always helps. Thank you, Jenny.
All right. And we'll give Allison, she could do announcements. Good morning, welcome to Genesis. My name is Allison Caneza, and I'm happy to share some announcements with you. So take a moment and let us know that you're here. You can do that by filling out either the digital connection card, which you can find on our website, or you can find it in the text if you received that this morning. Uh, or there's a physical green card in front of you in the pews. And if you are new to Genesis, you can text new to Genesis, all one word, to 94,000. You can place that physical green card in the wooden box at the back of the sanctuary. That's also where you can place any offerings if you brought them in person. And thank you to all of those who continue to give either online or via text. Wednesday, December 21st, we will be holding our blue Christmas service at 6 p.m. This service is intended to make space for those who are not experiencing this season with joy or lightness, but instead a heaviness or loss or grief. December 21st is the winter solstice, which is the longest night of the year, so it seems appropriate that we would make a space for those of us that are experiencing a blue Christmas this year. We will have a candlelight service on Christmas Eve at 5 p.m. There's no childcare provided for this service, and there is no service on Christmas Day, so don't come to church on Christmas Day. Today, we are eating after service, so join us in the South Hall um, for some lunch. It's okay if you didn't bring anything. There is always more than enough to go around. And Genesis the Church is partnering with the Open Table Collective for a gathering on Saturday, January 14th, where we will make time and space for reflecting on our calling as we think about what we want to stop and start in 2023. Please join us for this three-hour morning event where we will have the opportunity to engage in practical activities that care for our souls while dreaming with each other and God about the future. So that's Saturday, January 14th from 9 a.m. to noon, which sounds like a great way to start the new year. Uh, just a quick note to say thank you for all of the uh, CDC Christmas store donations. Uh, we have about 60 packages of underwear and socks that I will drop off there this week, so thank you all for your generosity. And that's it. We're going to release the middle school students and everybody stand up for connection time and share with someone your favorite Christmas cookie or treat. I love Christmas.
Good morning. Good morning. There we go. <laughs> New mic pack, so fancy. Good morning. I love that it takes so long for connection to quiet down. It's something that's very unique to Genesis. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Liz. I uh, have been coming to Genesis for about a decade with a teeny break in the middle when I moved away for a couple of years. I used to work here. I've also been an elder here. And now I just get asked to teach every once in a while. And so I am happy to be here this Advent season. Now, if you were here last week, you heard Bo talk about uh, the topic of waiting, which I know is everybody's very favorite thing to do. And so this Advent season at Genesis, we are going to be looking at people who have a proximity to the Christmas story and who were all, for better or worse, waiting. I remember uh, once upon a time I was interacting with somebody on the other side of the world, and one thing that they said that left an uh, impression on me was that Americans in general have lost the art of waiting. And if waiting is an art, it's an art that I do not practice very well. Waiting leaves space for things that are unpleasant, it makes the world feel uncertain. Waiting reminds us that we aren't in control, and it makes room for doubt. And the person from the Bible that we're going to be talking about today who experienced doubt in the waiting is John the Baptist. Now, John was the cousin of Jesus. He was a prophet. He was born with prophecy and promise, and he was John, and he had to wait. And in his story, I'm also going to share some things about how I felt like God was speaking to me about waiting and results and how sometimes looking back is the way we see God's hand in our life. And there might be a connection to the movie Frozen 2, and you just have to trust me on this one. We'll get there a little bit later. So we're going to jump right into John's story, which we happen to have recorded, uh, at least big chunks of it, from birth to death in the Gospels. And in the Bible, we learn about John's family of origin before we really learn about him. His birth story is a little bit wild, and it's exciting enough to start off the whole book of Luke. And traditionally, when you think Christmas, that starts in Luke 2, but John's story is the very fun opener to Luke 1. And we learn a few things about him. His dad, Zachariah, was a priest. His mom was named Elizabeth, and she was considered infertile, or to use the old school word, barren. And they were both old, and they were probably too old to get pregnant. And one week, when Zachariah was in the sanctuary of the temple, the place where God dwelt at the time, an angel appeared to him and gives him this really remarkable news. And this is the quote uh, from the angel in the book of Luke. It says, your wife Elizabeth will give you a son and you are to name him John and you will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah, and he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. So Zechariah hears this news, and he questions this news out loud to the angel. It is not the move that I think I would have made. 
I like to stay quiet, especially if things are scary or unsure. Uh, but he did question whether or not God was actually going to do this thing. And the angel responds with some anger and tells Zechariah that he has to be silent now, that he's going to be unable to speak until the baby is born. And then this is how the birth of John comes about. When it came time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. And when the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father, but Elizabeth said, nope, his name is John. What? They exclaimed, there is nobody in your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. Side note, I find this part very funny. Number one, that there's this crowd uh, at the circumcision. And number two, somehow they didn't think Zechariah could he not hear, like they thought that he had also couldn't speak, but he also couldn't hear. And I just like this image of this crowd of people gesturing to try to like make him understand the questions that they're asking. Uh, but he motioned for a writing tablet and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John and instantly Zechariah could speak again. And he began praising God. Now all fell upon the whole neighborhood and the news of what happened spread throughout the Judean hills and everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. The part of this story that stood out to me new this year when I was reading through it is the part that the whole neighborhood knew the news of what happened. There was a crowd at the circumcision. The crowd was looking to Zechariah. They were referred to as they. It's everyone who heard reflected on this one kid's birth. It was talked about. There was probably theories as they wondered who this child's going to turn out to be. Now imagine then being in John's shoes growing up. If this was the story of your birth. The, the words that people are sharing about you are good, right? He will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He will be a man filled with the Holy Spirit. He will be a man of spirit and have the power of Elijah. Elijah, who did all sorts of crazy things that everybody was still talking about hundreds of years later. He called fire from the sky. He ended drought. He raised a kid from the dead. And this is who John was being compared to before he could even talk. Can you imagine being John and having people look on you with that sort of expectation? From your birth, you are expected to prophesy. You are expected to speak truth. How did that coexist with being raised by two fairly normal parents? Speak truth, but respect your elders. Do what your mom says, even if you actually know that it's wrong. Speak up, but maybe don't speak up to certain people. And what if you do speak up and people don't like what you're talking about? And you're just a kid. Was there an expectation to respect your elders, even if you had to prophesy against them? Because John's prophecy was that he was going to turn people to God. And he was going to tell them that they were doing wrong and needed to change. And although he had celebrity from the time that he was in diapers, telling someone or everyone that they are wrong is never going to make you very popular. You don't have to raise your hand unless you really want to, but I wonder how many of you were considered gifted children. I was considered gifted, and although I don't, they didn't use that term when I was a kid, um, I was put in all sorts of sort of advanced classes from an early age, and I don't think there was very much different about me except for that I really liked to read. 
And teachers saw that and they were like, ooh, gifted. And that love of reading was soon used in competitions like Battle of the Books, which I won few years in a row. Uh, debate battles in school. Uh, I was put on stage to perform and I did well at these things, partly because I'm a fairly competitive person, but also because I just like to read. And when I would read, I like to talk about what I read. Now, come my senior year in high school, I decided not to take AP English. I didn't want to. I was already taking other AP classes, but when it came to reading and literature, I wanted to do that for me, for enjoyment and not for a grade or a test. Now, I still graduated in the top of my class. I was summa cum laude. I had all these scholarships to college, but do you know what I heard from the teachers in my life that senior year? Was their disappointment that I didn't take AP English because I was known to be good at reading. And this minor experience in being gifted is really nothing when you start thinking about John's growing up. How many people might have wanted to meet him simply because he'd been marked as promised? How many of his peers resented his celebrity? How many people would walk up and challenge his prophetic ability? Kids or adults, both. And once I considered this, the idea that he probably couldn't even sit at a family dinner without having to do or say something to show off this ability, all of a sudden his deciding to take to the desert, to leave for the wilderness makes so much more sense. That maybe for a time he wanted that prophetic ability, that special relationship with God, the one facilitated by the Holy Spirit to be just between him and God. Maybe he wanted or even needed the solitude to really hear God above all the gossipy voices of his neighborhood and beyond. Maybe he was waiting to be fully grown or waiting to step into what God was calling him to do. Maybe he simply needed silence and solitude. So at some point in John's life, he went to the desert and he waited. Now, as far as I know, we aren't given clarity on exactly when John went to the wilderness to live. And we don't know exactly how long he waited. But again, I find myself wondering about the waiting. Did he head out and away from home because he felt like he should? Did he go home or leave home feeling like a failure of not living up to the promise? Or did he know this was the next right thing to do? Did he go seeking closeness to God or did he go defeated and feeling like a disappointment? Did he know his destiny, or did maybe he start to wonder if there had been a mistake? Maybe the angel had gotten the announcement wrong. So I wonder about John's waiting, and how much of it was recovery from childhood, and how much of it was trusting that God was working with him, and that by being in the desert, that by being in the wilderness, he was actually living into this promise or his calling, or to use the more dramatic word, living into his destiny. We pick John's story back up in Luke 3, uh, and Luke talks a little bit more about the promise of John's life. He actually references the prophecy from hundreds of years before. Uh, first, Luke puts John's life kind of in the context of the timeline of history by giving us rulers and governors and high priest names, and then he goes on to write this, Luke 3.3, then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River 
preaching that people should be baptized to show they had, been, they had repented from their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. In verse seven, it says, when the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, you brood of snakes. So you can assume he was like a super likable guy. Uh, Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you've repented from your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we are safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. And even now the ax of God's judgment is poised ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. Do you remember how I wondered if people didn't like what he was saying as a child? If it was words like this coming out of like, say a five-year-old, I'm assuming that they didn't. I'm assuming that he maybe called people snakes from the time he was talking and I am assuming that he was shut down. I'm also assuming that his time in the wilderness hardened him a bit to that, that he got tough in the wilderness with his words. John clarified his ministry in the wilderness, and he learned about the big things of God. He learned about the things God cared about, and that was the promise, right? That John would have the Holy Spirit and that he would speak truth. The angel didn't promise that John would be liked, but that he would turn people to God because of what John said. And This was his destiny. Coming to the wilderness made that clear, and believe it or not, the crowds couldn't get enough. In verse 10, it says, the crowds asked, what should we do? And John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. And even corrupt tax collectors came in to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? And he replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do? Asked some soldiers, and John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations, and be content with your pay. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. And Jesus answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not even worthy to be his slaves or to untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. And John used many such warnings as he announced the good news to the people that their waiting was almost over. And then comes the pinnacle of John's ministry. He had been waiting in the desert. He had been speaking and baptizing people who were waiting for a savior, a Messiah. And finally that waiting was rewarded when Jesus showed up to one of John's baptisms. One day when the crowds were being baptized by John, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly son and you bring me great joy. What a high point for John. All of that promise that had been spoken before his birth came to be. He was turning people to God. He was baptizing him. And then peak of ministry. He baptized Jesus, the one that all of Israel had been waiting for for hundreds of years. John's identity and calling must have been so set and so secure at that moment. But from mountaintops, or in this case, a riverbed, comes a valley. And John finally pissed off the wrong guy and gets thrown in prison. And all of that sureness that he was living into God's calling seems to disappear. 
There John is having once again the ultimate human experience of waiting. What was he waiting for? He was waiting for release from his cell. He was waiting for rescue or waiting for death. And what a different experience it must have been for him. John thrived in the wilderness. He thrived in freedom from his town and his neighbors, and he fully lived into his promise. And now nothing. He can't preach. He can't teach. He can't baptize. Without movement, he probably became weak. And in that small cell and in the waiting, the doubt kicks in. Here's what the book of Matthew tells us about this time in John's life. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard all about the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? At this point, John's doubts were so big, and his connection to the Holy Spirit wasn't enough to assure him of the promises of God. In his doubts, he was wondering, was his whole life's work a lie? And he had to know from the source. So John sent followers, go ask Jesus. And this is how Jesus responded. Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who don't fall away because of me. I am assuming this may not have been the clear yes or no that John wanted. A no that Jesus wasn't the one that John was waiting for, and it would have meant that John was waiting for nothing, that his life maybe didn't have a real purpose. Or a yes might have been really nice to hear, but would that have been enough to conquer the doubt? But instead, Jesus almost seems to answer with like a riddle. But I don't think it was a riddle to John. In fact, I think these words were probably way more impactful to him. Remember, John was the son of a priest. And no matter how odd parts of his childhood must have been, I have no doubt that he knew the words of the prophets. John knew that these words had once been spoken hundreds of years before from the prophet Isaiah about the coming Savior the Messiah, the one everyone's waiting for. Jesus had not answered yes or no, but had answered with images from John's life, the things he had seen and experienced, an answer perfectly suited for John. He was gentle, but a clear eraser of doubts. And my guess is that John's followers also passed on the rest of what Jesus said. As, Jesus, uh, sorry, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking to, about him, John, to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed, swayed by every breath of the wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I'm sending a messenger ahead of you and he will prepare the way before you. I tell you the truth of all who lived, none is greater than John the Baptist, and yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. 
and violent people are attacking it. For before John came, all the prophets and law of Moses looked forward to this present time. And if you are willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah, the one the prophet said would come and anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Jesus answered John in such a way that affirmed him and his life's calling. John's ministry wasn't a mistake. John's promise wasn't given to the wrong person. John had been waiting for a savior and the savior was there in action and John got to baptize him and hear God's voice speak a blessing. John's time of waiting in the wilderness wasn't waiting as much as it was the promise fulfilled. I remember when I was a kid, grown-ups would always ask the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I never had an answer. When I was in second grade, I have this kind of core memory of having to draw what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I, I tried my hardest to draw this picture of me helping people. And when my teacher tried to clarify it with me, I, I couldn't say exactly what I meant. Um, I just felt like someday I wanted to be able to make an impact in the world. And so my teacher slapped the word missionary on my picture and hung it up in the hallway. And it felt like a calling or a destiny. When I was in my teens and 20s, I became captivated by this idea of biblical destiny, the idea that God placed me in a certain location at a certain time in history for his purpose. For such a time as this, you are here. I know destiny is one of these weird and divisive words that might cause people being distracted from the big idea, but for me, I always felt like God was calling me towards something. And I'll use that word destiny for that, but I, I never could seem to arrive at it. And I remember the restlessness that accompanied what felt like kind of the stagnant nature of my life. I, the waiting for the moment that God was calling me to was frustrating, so in the waiting, I said yes a lot. Um, I was living at home and going to college and living at home allowed me to save money so that I could afford to work for almost nothing at a camp teaching kids about Jesus. And eventually I worked in leadership at that camp and met my husband who had the same passion about kids and them knowing the goodness of God. And it was there that I found that I really liked working with teenagers, that those formative years where teenagers wrestle with doubts, I, I was good at wrestling with the doubts with them. And when we had almost nothing in those early years and we could fit all of our belongings in a van, we ended up working at a school in Mexico and we provided a safe place for teens to crash. And eventually, after returning to the States, we ended up taking full-time jobs at the camp, which led to being asked to go to the other side of the world and lead a camp in a tiny village. And from there, we were asked to pass on our knowledge of running a program that focuses on Jesus and fun to a few dozen children's pastors in the area. And at dinner one night, I was offered a rat on a stick to eat, and I ate the rat. And a few years later, the fact that I once ate rat, and that combined with the fact that I was a trained teacher and had training in trauma response, led to an invitation to go with another small group and teach trauma-informed care to a small group of volunteers battling human trafficking and running safe homes in Asia. And while we were doing that, the police showed up with military units to our training, and they found out what we were doing and decided that their police force and their military needed this trauma-informed training too. And so we taught them and passed on that knowledge and information and resources to the entire police force of a massive city on the border between India and Nepal so that they would be able to successfully care for girls who were rescued from trafficking. 
And in the decade that all these things seemed to happen, I was wondering when God was going to show me my destiny. <laughs> in retrospect, that was, that was it, <laughs> right? The promise was being fulfilled in the waiting. And, and God's not done with my story. He's not done with showing me that I'm placed in a specific time and location for his purposes, and that all that waiting might not actually be waiting at all. As part of my current activities, I am a track and cross-country coach at Cass Tech High School in Detroit, and I really love it. And at some point a couple weeks ago, I was mentioning something about a place I once lived or a job I once had, and I've had a lot of jobs, and I've lived a lot of places, and one of my girls just started laughing, and she's like, bro, they call everybody bro, Bob, but you, you've had a weird life, and you're kind of a weird dude. It was no offense taken. <laughs> I have had a weird life, and I am kind of a weird dude, and I think John was too. And Jesus knew it, and he knew hundreds of years earlier. Isaiah knew it too, and the angel who spoke to John's father knew it, and the people who heard John knew it. But that weirdness is exactly how God used him in the place and time that he existed. That in the waiting and in the doubt and in the weirdness, God reminded John of the promise. Now here is the connection that I am sure you've all been waiting for. And that is of Queen Elsa from the second Frozen movie. Now I have found that when I am preparing to teach like this, God often gives me an earworm or a song that I just can't shake for whatever reason. And often the theme of the song connects with the point that God's trying to make. Now, in the second Frozen movie, Elsa is restless, and there's a number of plot lines, but for Elsa in particular, she is waiting. She is waiting to discover why she's being drawn away from her comfortable castle home, and truly just struggling to understand her place in the world. And as she struggles, and in perhaps the darkest point of her life, where she's separated from people she loves, she cries and sings the song, Show Yourself. And in that cry, she has shown scenes from her life and hears words and songs from her childhood that affirm that in the journey, she is exactly where she is supposed to be. This song is a cry of the waiting. It's a cry of desperation. And so we're going to play this song this morning. It's to be on all your guys' ears at the same time. Those words Jesus spoke about John in response to John's doubts came from the chapter of Isaiah that we know as Isaiah 35. And so when I went back and read the whole thing, a part of it stood out to me in a way that I wanted to share with you. It felt like a clear word for anyone who's waiting for anyone who, like John, is maybe having some doubts creep up. And in verse 3, it says this, With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands, and encourage those who have weak knees. And say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to save, or coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And if you are waiting for a clear yes or no from God, maybe take some time this Advent to reflect on the places you've already been taken to in your story. Maybe you have your own experience of eating rat and having that lead you somewhere extraordinary and living into your destiny. And maybe 
God will reveal ways he's been present in the past and in previous waitings. And maybe, just maybe, God has an answer for you that is just for you, that only you will understand. Oh, I've used the word maybe a lot today. So let me try this again. May God reveal the ways he's been present in the past and in previous waitings. And may you experience the answers that God has spoken just for you. And may you understand those. And in the waiting, may you be strong and do not fear because God is coming. He is coming to save you. And in the waiting, he's already here. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much, Liz. It's always a pleasure to be taught and encouraged by you. So may we breathe in deep the encouragement and the hope that God is in our waiting. Um, as we go, as we're in Advent, if you haven't had the chance, we've been sending out an Advent calendar that you can subscribe to. And for some, these are just some simple engagements within the season. If you're like, oh, I, I, uh, I, I want to be able to be present in this season. So this is not so much to um, fill some expectation that God has on us. These are some tools for some gifts for you to be present in this time. And so we've sent out a calendar that you can subscribe to digitally, or you can grab the materials. They're on the coffee bar right now. We have some chocolate advent calendars. We have a scripture reading plan for the day. We have a prayer to go with each day. And then we have an activity that potentially if you wanted to engage in, and they're all really simple. They're all really simple to be able to do, um, but they're for us. And so you can subscribe to that. We've sent out that digital calendar that will throw that right into your phone. So we've emailed that out on Wednesday, or last Thursday. We made that last Sunday that was in our text. It's on our email, and I believe you can find it online. But those resources are over there. We've been doing it, and it's a beautiful reset each night for us because otherwise we're gonna be locked into watching Power Rangers all night long. And I need a reset, right? We're not gonna make it. But there's just something about lighting a candle and praying a really simple prayer, and it's, it's not hard. There's um, a teacher, um, Casey Davis, she's a therapist, she's a Christian, she wrote a book called um, Keeping a Tidy House While Drowning. One of her mottos is this, and I'm trying to live by this, anything worth doing is worth doing half-assed. And I'm in a season where that's so true, right? I want to engage, but this is for me, and maybe it's for you as well. And so for this admin, will you be able to engage? So one of the things that, one of the activities is tomorrow's. Tomorrow's activity is to put out snacks for one of your delivery drivers. And somebody who does this is Scott Hallback. Scott, come, come up here, because I want to share a little bit of Scott's story and help encourage us. So this is, this is one of the activities that's on the calendar for tomorrow. Maybe you could do it sometime this week. But Scott does this, and I heard about it, and I thought it was just so cool. So I wanted to have Scott to share with us what does he do, and then maybe we could imitate this. A uh, little background. I've been driving for UPS for 33 years, so... <laughs> It's been a while, and it's getting crazier every year. 
So a lot of people put these baskets out on the porch. It's really nice. It's just a little uplifting thing when you're out there at 8.30 at night. So my basket has water, a couple pops, Pringles, beef jerky, and some cashews. And it's just super awesome when you walk up on a porch at 8.30 at night. You're like, oh, sweet, some cashews. It's exactly <laughs> what's going to get me through the next hour. So that's my basket. So um, I think one other thing you could do is really helpful is walk across the street and look at your house. Do you see your address? If not, fix it. <laughs> there you, hold on, Scott. So, thank you. One, one of our things about our community, that we, it's, it's one of the things that makes us unique, and, and here's the thing that makes us unique. Our heroes are among us, everyday people living like Jesus. Our heroes aren't the people who stand up, but the heroes are the people among us living like Jesus. And so Scott's a hero. He's living like Jesus. He's worked for UPS for 33 years, and he's putting stuff out for the other people who are making deliveries. He loves them. He wants to encourage them. He wants to support them. I think it's awesome, and I love this act. Scott, um, on your route right now, would you say um, in the course of a month, which person gets the most packages? And over a month, what, how many deliveries will you make to one house? Uh, 1465 Buckingham gets about 10 or 15 a day from Macy's and Target. <laughs> okay, can anybody in here compete with that house? All right, how about you? How many in here will get a package a day over the next month? Who in here will get at least two packages a day? Anybody three? You know, right? I mean, any of you guys will get like maybe 50 over the course of the next month? Probably realistically. I know my house gets a ton. And so a part of that is like one of the things when the activity is just like just letting the people know who are doing that. We see you. We're grateful. We're thankful. And so what we've done is we've got a couple starter kits over here for you. We've got 50 bags with some snacks in them. And this is going to help you potentially engage in this activity this week. And so we've got these brown bags. We've also got these little blue like hamper like a little blue ham uh, hamper, whatever you want to call them, little blue plastic things. So you could see the snacks in the bag. And if you want to put what Scott did in here, or if you've got a wicker basket, you can do a wicker basket or something. But this is just a way of our families being like, oh, we don't love our neighbors. We don't love people who are serving. And this is peak season for the dr drivers. Your days have just gone, you know, out the just crazy long, long, long hours over the entire month. And I don't know if, if you're like me, I'm so grateful not to have to go to a store. I, I don't, I don't want to have to go into any stores for these things. So super grateful. But this is just not about being kind. It's about, it's about being hospitable. And it is about looking like Jesus. So this is, the, this is one of the things this week that we're encouraging people to do. Scott, thank you. Thanks for sharing this with us, modeling that with us. So we've got 50 bags over here that Nikki, Scott's wife, actually picked out some stuff. You can add to it, put them out. If it doesn't work in your context, spin it. Give it to somebody else who's serving. But if you would like to participate in this one activity, I want to encourage you. we got to get rid of 50 bags. Grab a bag. If you want to see more about the Advent activities and that, all that stuff is over on the coffee bar on, in paper and on paper. Or you can subscribe to the digital calendar on your phones. That's everything. So we're having lunch. We've got soup and salads, and we've got plenty for anyone and everyone. And if not, we've got a God who multiplies food, so it's really cool. It's going to work. It's going to be all right. 
um, but we would say stay. This we call, So this is the first Sunday. We do communion on the first Sunday. That's communion. And so we're communing with Jesus and with each other. And so Jesus said, when you welcome onto your table and you give him water, you're welcoming me. And if you welcome me, you're welcoming the Father. That's what that is. There can be nothing more spiritual than sitting at a table with one another and encountering Jesus. So if you've got room for Jesus or the Father, how is that for like guilting you for lunch? <laughs> now, but um, be, stay, and, stay and eat if you can. There's room for you at a table. This is communion and that sense of sharing a meal together, but also welcoming each other, which is welcoming the Father and Jesus and being sustained. Sound good? God, thank you for the food. God, thank you for this community of people pursuing Jesus that we can do this together. I thank you for this community that we can be on, we can doubt and be on that journey together uh, and be welcome to the table. Thank you for these teachings and encouragements for today. Amen. So grab, uh, grab a resource, grab this kit that's up, grab these things up in here. Feel free to grab your kids <laughs> and uh, share lunch together. <laughs>